Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 33. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the church. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay. Right, no prizes for what this passage is about. Our wives and husbands, but ooh, it's quite loud, isn't it? Sorry. Um, marriage is an everyone uh, business when it comes to God's church. It's not just for married couples, as I hope uh, we're going to learn. It's for single people too. Uh, we're all part of Christ's marriage to the church, as I'm sure most of you know. Um, we're all heading for the wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven, as some of you may know from Revelation. And we're all married to the Lord Jesus. I hope that's not a surprise to all of you. It might be to some of you, in which case that's fine. Um, and what we're going to do today is let God's Word do the talking. Uh, it's eternal. It's written by our Maker and our saviour. Uh, and I think uh, when you line it up with what culture might say on this topic, um, uh, it does a much better job because culture passes, doesn't it? It keeps moving. Um, it's relative. It's relative. It's not truth per se. So. Let's try that out. If you think about what um, predominant secular culture would tell us now about what wives should do and what husbands should do right now in 2023, and compare that to what would have been said in 1950s Britain all that time ago, and then compare that to 1919, after World War I, where there were virtually no young men left in this country because they'd all been killed, and then compare that to 1870s, mid-Victorian Britain, you're going to get a different answer for each, aren't you? So let's stick with the Bible. It's got one answer, and it's true, and it's timeless. It's, it's eternal. But this passage, when we get into it, you'll see um, it's, it's, it's proposing revolutionary living. 
you know, as a, as a, as a discomfort with it, I think there can be at times. Um, and I'd like to try and bring a bit of lightness to proceedings, not because, not because it's a funny topic, um, it's not. Um, in marriages, spouses can die young. Marriages can struggle. Um, single people um, can wish they're married, be married, and not be. Uh, marriages can involve children, they can cause all sorts of issues. Um, but in the Lord Jesus, we have hope, real hope. We have the Lord, we have his word, the Bible. Make sure you got one of these Bibles near you. I'm going to be in, in it line by line in a while. Make sure you have one of these. We have his gospel, we have the good news of Jesus Christ. We're in his church right now, united in him. And he's a sovereign God. The Bible says that over and over again. He's ruling, he's saving, and he will complete all things. So we have hope as we look at these instructions in the Bible. And um, if you're a visitor here today and you're not a believer, you're super welcome, by the way. Make sure someone near to you, uh, oh, there is some cake left, I can see some. Make sure, make sure someone near you gets you just some cake and hot drink. You're massively welcome. But if this is all new to you, just take 20 minutes or so now to ponder a philosophy uh, which puts forward a model for marriage, including a marriage of the church to God, uh, where love and care and unity, fairness, mercy, hope, and equality are all at the center. Those are the characteristics of the love, loving and saving God of the Bible that we're talking about today, whose book we're teaching from. And if you want to know more about Christianity, uh, we'd love you to join us on one of the courses where we introduce you to it, or Jeremy, or Madouche, or I, or the person who brought you here are happy to sit down with you one-to-one -one and take you through the good news of Jesus Christ. So please do come and see us if that's what you're interested in. We'd be massively keen uh, to help you in that area. But for this talk, we're going to do three things. There's going to be three sections, a few minutes each. Firstly, I'm going to talk about the context of these instructions in Ephesians. We've spent the last few weeks in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to recap the context because it's really important for how we understand and digest the instructions. So first, we're going to do context. Second, I'm going to go through the instructions to wives and husbands themselves. Instructions second. And application, we're going to try and apply them to our lives third. Okay? Three things, context, instru instructions, applications. But first, we're going to need the Lord's Spirit to help us. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can know you, and we can know your design, and we can know your plan through your word. We do pray now, Lord, that your spirit would teach us through it. Give us ears, Lord, that are willing to hear, and give us soft and humble hearts, Lord. In your name. Amen.
Okay, first up, context. Context. So I put some of the verses I'm going to take us through uh, on the slide behind you. Yeah, there it is. Hope you can see it. But um, and there's kind of three points I want us to remember that we need to know as we approach these instructions. And then three points that we've talked about in the talks from Medush and, and Jeremy that we need to do. Okay, so you need your Bible because I'm going to be pointing to the verses, so make sure you've got one of these. It's page 1176, um, right-hand column. So, first of all, first thing to know, the gospel core message, the great, great news in chapter 2, verse 8. By grace, by, by grace, you've been saved through faith. Jesus has done it. We haven't. We can have faith in him and be saved. Praise God as the very core of the Christian message. And then Paul builds on that as we go through chapter 2 and verse 2, verse 10. He makes clear the second thing to know, which is we're made alive in Christ to do good works. So in chapter 2, verse 10, fantastic. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, definitely in my top 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're made by God. We're created in Jesus to do good works, which he prepared for us in advance to do. We've all got a mission for the Lord. It's in that verse. Third thing to know, God's united us in Christ to be where he lives. United to be where he lives. So we've got several verses in this, on this, all of them wonderful. Chapter 2, verse 12, remember that you are separate from Christ without hope. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Brought near through the blood of Christ. And then Paul completely nails it in verse 22. In him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see that? We're being built together in him, in Jesus, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's really important for this talk. We're being built together be to become a dwelling where his spirit lives. That is the church. That's us. So they're the three things to know. And then let's look at the three things we need to do as part of the um, context, the recap. So we get on to chapter four, which is where Paul's application starts which runs through chapters four five and six and in verse one chapter four verse one he says i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received okay so he's calling us not just to know it but to but to live it as well to live a life worthy of the calling we've received and then further on in chapter four and 15 and 16 he's saying he's building on that saying speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him, into Jesus, who is the head, that is Christ. From him, 
The whole body is joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Each part does its work. So you've got this idea of this organism, this place where Jesus lives, us. Um, as we speak the truth in love, we'll grow up into him, Jesus, the head of this church, of this unit. And from him, the whole body is joined and held together by each of our gifts that he's given us in the spirit. Each of us a ligament, a part of the body. And you've got this growing spiritual organism, growing, being um, headed by the Lord, speaking the truth in love to each other. It's a fantastic image for us and what we are in the Lord with him leading. Second thing to do, turn away from sin, live God's way, live a life of love. So Paul picks it up, this up right at the start of chapter 5. Okay, we're in chapter 5 at the start now, verses 1 to 2, where he says, verse 1, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitative of, of God. Be like God. Nowhere dearly loved by him. Live a life of love. That's a great idea, isn't it? Live a life of love. Just as Jesus said, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It's a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then the last thing to do in this context, this recap, live in the light and be wise. Live holy lives submitting to one another. And verses 8 and 15 to 21 really hammer that home. So chapter 5, verse 8 You've got it there. For once you're in darkness, for once you're in darkness, but now you are, for now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Once you're in darkness, now you are light in the world. Live as children of light. This, this light coming from the Lord, shining on the darkness, all the elements of the world that are not of the Lord. And then in the run-up to our passage today, you have verses 15 to 21 of chapter 5, where Paul really hammers home the wisdom of living holy lives, the, wisdom, the inherent wisdom of living holy lives. And to, uh, to paraphrase it, from 15 he's saying, be very careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise. He goes on understanding what the Lord's will is, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21 is key for today. Look at verse 21 with me. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Submitting to one another, submitting per se, is an everyone thing. It's a pan-church matter. We're going to, you're going to hear a lot more about that. So this was an attempt just to sort of take the right sort of run-up on this passage um, and to note in summary what we've seen so far from Ephesians. So we've got a church living in unity with Christ as our head. 
each part of the church playing its role, each of us being transformed and built up by Jesus as we learn, teach, and live out his truth, submitting to each other. Okay, so that's a sort of whistle-stop tour through some of the key elements that come up as we now go through this passage. hope that's been helpful. Um, let's move now to the instructions themselves. Let's look at the instructions to wives and husbands. Okay, fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. So, starting at verse 22, wives are the subject of the first three verses. Okay, let me read it. From verse 22 to 24. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit to their husbands in everything. So, wives, what is there to do? Verse 22, submit to your husband in the way that you do to the Lord Jesus. And right at the end, verse 33b, didn't read it out, but it is right at the end, respect your husband. Why? Verse 23, look down in it with me. Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, which he saved by his blood on the cross. So you can see Paul's setting up um, a sort of comparable submission. You see what I mean? We've already got the submission that we all have to engage with, with Jesus from verse 21 just before. But you've got a reason for this submission by wives. You, you're, you're pointing to Jesus' uh, leadership of the church. He's the head of the church. Um, and husband's the head of the wife. So let's think about submission, because it is a pretty uncomfortable subject, or can be. Um, as we've said, it's what we all do as we put in our trust in Jesus, in Christ. Uh, we let him lead. It's not quite the same as obedience, it can involve obedience, but it's not quite the same. Obedience comes up next week when we talk about children. Um, but I think I was talking to my wife about this, and we agreed, and she told me very helpfully, that um, when you see submission as a, as, a, as a matter for all of us, there's more um, com comforts, maybe not the word, but acceptance of it as a concept. Um, certainly a matter, submission was certainly a matter and obedience for Jesus to the Father when he walked this earth. Um, and spiritual service, it definitely is. Uh, meaningless subjection, it definitely is not. 
Um, we'll talk more about that in the application section. So those are the wives' instructions. Let's move on to the husband's instructions. So this is from verse 25. And husbands, it's a much longer list, so brace yourself. Um, let me read from verse 25 to um, 33a. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their lives as wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. Okay, husbands, what have you got to do? There's three things. You've got to love your wives as Christ loved the church. See that? Verse 25. You've got to love your wife as your own body. In verse 28. And you've got to love your wife as you love yourself. You must do that. Verse 33. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? Well, verse 25 to 27 explain how. And it's by following Christ's example. By following Christ's example of how he treats us, the church. Right? So if you look at verse 25... Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is, this is pointing to Jesus' incredibly costly love on the cross, his sacrifice. Husbands, husbands have to follow his example. Our love has to be sacrificial, costly. It's going to hurt at times. And why? Verse 26, if you look with me to make her holy. Christ died on the cross to make us holy. Husbands should act sacrificially to help their wife towards holiness, knowing that we're all in our sin and, and they need that. Jesus went to the cross to save the church from God's punishment to sin. Husbands have to be inspired by that um, in the way they treat their wives. Follow Christ's example. Paul then moves on a bit. If we look at verses 28 to 30 now, and he moves on to emphasize that husbands should love their wives as they love themselves, right? So this sort of echoes the last six commandments of Jesus, summary of them of how to, how to love your neighbor. But, but here Paul's particularly comparing it, to, again, to how Christ loves his body, how Christ loves the church, us. Okay, so come with me to the text again. So in verse 28, you've got the idea of loving your life as your own body. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. 
And then the following idea, he who loves his wife loves himself. That's a nice idea, isn't it? It's just eminently sensible. You love your wife, you're loving yourself. As speaking as a husband, I like that one a lot. He keeps building on that idea, verse 29. Feed and care for your wife as you do yourself, just as Christ does the church. So again, you've got this alignment between the way a husband um, leads, treats, loves, cares for, nourishes, uh, and protects and builds the holiness of the wife in the way Christ does for us, the church. That parallel keeps on building. And then in 30, Paul really forces that home by just saying, for we are members of his body. So that links to the idea we were talking about earlier in the context of this unified whole we are with Jesus as the head. We're part of his body. Now in the last two bits of the instructions to husbands, Paul Paul hits the turbo button. He's got two kickers. He's got two kickers. He's got a creation kicker and a salvation kick, and we'll do them in turn. But this, he just sort of blows the scale of this wide open. Um, so in verse 31, he hits the creation lens, if you like, uh, by noting that the husband and wife are one flesh, which is quite a mind-blowing concept the more you think about it and he's quoting in verse 31 from genesis 2 24 so verse 31 says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a, that is a quote from genesis 2 24 which is the which is the just after the moment where god brings eve to Adam, and there's just this beautiful moment where the two, where the two meet. And this, there's this idea that timelessly, a man will leave his parents and join, as will the woman, and they will be united or sealed or cleaved is the old word uh, in marriage, and they'll become one flesh. So you're going right back to creation, right back to Eden, right back to the perfect time before sin came in the world, right back to God's design. And this is the exact verse that Jesus points to in Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6, don't look at it now, when the Pharisees confront him on marriage issues, waving their made-up laws at him. He quotes this verse. He notes that upon marriage, two become one. And as he explains, he's pointing to God's very good design, as it's referred to in Genesis 2, noting that male and female were born equal but different, but complementary in marriage, this idea of a complete set, not the same, but a complementary set. And Paul is directly pointing to it when he's talking about husbands and wife here being one flesh within the context of the church in the way these instructions are played out, performed. And then the last point he makes is in verse 32, of this bit anyway, where 
he puts a salvation or gospel lens on the whole topic for husbands as well. In verse 32, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. What does that mean? That's quite difficult, isn't it? So when he says Paul is talking about Christ and the church, he's talking about it as one body. One flesh is the same thing. One body, the church, throughout all time between Christ and the church. So the mystery is a word Paul quite often uses to talk about God's plan as revealed in Jesus and by Jesus, the whole God's plan running through the whole Bible, with Jesus being the fulfillment of all things. And it's profound because you're kind of looking through the whole Bible, if you think about it. We've just referred to verses from Eden in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve, the first marriage. Um, we can think about the idea of God's uh, marriage to Israel all through the Old Testament. So it's referred to in books like Hosea, particularly where Israel is painted as this itinerant, unfaithful wife that God is forever faithful to, forever caring for, however bad she is. And in the New Testament, of course, we've talked about Christ's love for the church. His wife, the bride of Christ, if you like, and she's the bride of Christ because in Revelation we know in heaven we're heading for the wedding feast of the Lamb, heaven itself. So in verse 32, Paul does something very difficult by trying to embed the truth of these verses through all time, really, through all scriptural history, which is amazing, really. But it does... It seals, the, it, it seals the depth of these instructions so beautifully, I think. Okay, let's try and pull it all together because I realize that's a lot of information and doctrine and explanation and so forth. Um, let's try and apply it all in application, the last bit, the third thing we're going to do. So first up, staying on that theme, the more, the more I prepared this talk, the more I became convinced of its truth and greatness was the more I chewed over the last two points, the creation point and the salvation point. Because in the creation point, the more you look at the Genesis 2 and Genesis 1, you just see God's order for men and women, God's order for marriage, and equally, in the same way, God's order for singleness in that there are single people in the church too, but the church has a marriage to Christ. So marriage is in everything matter when it comes to creation's order. But also, you can see from the salvation history point, the, the, profound, the profound mystery that Paul refers to, is that these instructions to wife and husband, wives and husbands are kind of part of the gospel worked out in our lives. This is a key bit of the application of this book. It might seem specific, but it's all part of the overall gospel application of this bit of Ephesians. I thought it was worth thinking about 
the whole thing from the point of view of single people for a bit. Uh, probably most of this room are single people, and I'm just conscious um, that, you know, I said there's a lot of focus on marriage in this talk, but, you know, we're all married to the church, so this is an everyone matter. But I think it's important to know that you're part of a wife, you're part of the bride of Christ, you're part of a submitting group. You know, again, for chapter 521, submissions and every one thing in the church. I think that's a helpful encouragement. Single people I know have said that to me, and it makes a lot of sense. It's a whole church matter, just as Jesus gave himself up for us. Jesus led and loved us like no other. So I think it's a call for single people, just let the Lord lead you. Submit to him, let him lead you. Fully submit to him if you haven't already. Commit to your church, serve at your church, even if it's costly, even if some of it hurts. Then thinking about wives uh, and the call to submit to your husbands. Uh, I'm not a wife. I can see how that wouldn't be easy sometimes, frankly. Um, again, remember that submitting is a whole church matter. We're back to chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, it must be comforting to know that that is living God's way. That's holy living as he's ordained it in this part of Scripture. Um, and I think um, I was talking to my wife about this as I prepped this talk, and, and, and she made this point very strongly, and I thought it was fantastic, so I'm going to steal it entirely, Karen. I hope you don't mind. Um, but the point was, um, as you dwell on these instructions and what you have in the Lord and what you have in the gospel, uh, try not to make your marriage a battle zone for the right answer, uh, a tussle for perfection, uh, whether it's an issue over jobs, money, children, schools, where you live, which church you go to. Um, I think the Lord through Paul here is pointing us to instead focusing on um, lovingly working for the right relationship under and in Christ with your husband and by doing so, promoting peace in your marriage. So value and help and nurture the relationship first rather than um, making a point of things you might want especially. I mean, there's lots to say about that, but it's just the start of an idea. Um, and perhaps the most difficult bit, some might say, is, is, is letting your husband be the head. Let him lead. Um, that doesn't mean he's more important than you or more powerful. Genesis, Genesis 1, male and female, he made them equal but different. But don't let culture tell you that that's wrong. Uh, these verses say otherwise. Husbands, okay. Loving your wives, how to do it best. These are a few ideas. Um, I think it can help, um, I've talked to other husbands about this, and um, it can help to make a study of how best to love your wives. Uh, and that isn't something you Google, funnily enough. 
Uh, be with your wife, relate to her, know her, value her, cherish her. Um, you are the head, so make sure you lead and lead with love. Um, do lead. Don't lead it for your wife to uh, just pick things up, even if she might be an amazing born leader or a born organizer <laughs> in, in your view or any other's view. Um, do lead. But lead like Jesus, uh, not like Hitler or Donald Trump. Um, lead like Jesus. Lead with kindness and compassion. So what that could look like, uh, I've got a few ideas here. You might not like them, but I'm going to say them anyway. Um, is costly love. We've talked about sacrificial love of Jesus, haven't we, earlier, and how this submission and, and this leadership follows his model of leadership. That involves sacrifices, husbands. That might involve fewer long bike rides or golf courses or whatever it is you enjoy. It might involve less sport. It might involve less time on the internet, on your phone. It might involve more time with her, doing things she likes or you both like. Get those date nights in the diary. They're good things. Um, book babysitters if you need to. They're very good things. We've got some teens in this church, just a hint. Um, if you have children, you're very blessed, but don't let them take over. Don't let them argue with loving your wife. Um, communication is really important. I know that's very obvious, but um, I think couples can sometimes not talk to each other especially well. That varies, but communication is massively important and for it to be effective. Um, husbands, you have to make decisions sometimes, so do make them, own them. Be gentle, be patient. Keep the Bible open and pray together. It's all essential stuff. And thinking about Jesus' example, it's really, it's really key to think about what builds your wife up in the Lord. That will look different depending on the marriage. Uh, but you'll also know what doesn't build your wife up in the Lord. So both of you but avoid unholiness. Um, and remember that you're one flesh, husbands. When you think about yourself, think about your wife too. But to finish, um, as you, I'd like to go through a list of things just quickly that are for both husbands and wives, but also for all of us, uh, as we remember the Lord leading us as a unit being built up as we speak truth to each other um, in love. Um, kindness as we submit is a thing of complete beauty. It's best modeled by the Lord Jesus. Um, the world sort of calls us to be kind in a sort of diversity and inclusion sort of a way. This is different. This is knowing you're called to love like Jesus Christ. 
communicate well again i mean it, it's really important within marriages to have time and space for that but it can it can be important in small groups and can be important in prayer triplets let's think about communicating well with each other as we're loving each other and teaching each other truth let's be patient sometimes things are quick for some people and and not quick for others the last two are the most important let's be prayerful God's with us. Let's take our issues to him. He is sovereign. He answers prayers. He really does. And let's keep our Bibles open. It's our manual for life from God. All the answers are there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, we just praise you for your word. We praise you for this teaching from Paul about your church. We praise you that you've died for it. You sacrificed so much for us. And we just praise you for Paul's teaching about how you use our gifts together as one united body under the Lord Jesus our glorious head, our glorious saviour, leading us forward as we are truthful to each other, loving each other with your word open and prayerful and thankful. And we do pray as a church we'd be submissive. We do pray as couples, married couples in the church, we'd be submitting and loving, wives and husbands. We pray single people, would be we're submitting to you lord loving and adoring the marriage your church has to you we thank you for the timelessness of this teaching the way it threads right through the bible and we look forward so much lord to your wedding feast when you make all things complete in your holy name amen <laughs>